All right, thank you, worship team. Now, like I said before, if, uh, if you didn't get a chance to, to give to that offering today, uh, we'll be, you can give to it at any Sunday, any time, whether you come here at church. Just make sure on your uh, gift it says harvest if you write a check or you use one of those envelopes that are in the back uh, by the desk there so it gets uh, given to the harvest offering and not the, the general fund. So how's everybody doing? How was Thanksgiving? All right, oh, that didn't sound enthusiastic whatsoever. My goodness. How was Thanksgiving? All right, awesome. All right, who, who are the, the turkey fans? You say Thanksgiving is all about the turkey. A few of you. Is there like tofurkey people out there? Like that's, no? Oh, good. Um, is, oh, sorry, there was one. Um, mashed potatoes, is that the, the gift for people yet? Yeah, mashed potatoes, stuffing. There we go. Now, um, my wife's favorite is typically what I think she calls the unheralded hero of the Thanksgiving meal, cranberry sauce. Now, now before you go crazy, i got to preface the cranberry sauce. This is not homemade luxury cranberry sauce. She wants ocean spray. It's got the can lines around it, not chunky. Like, you know, you feel the, and it falls onto the plate. That is cranberry sauce. And I'll admit it's the best. Well, I love Thanksgiving. I love the season that we just got to come out of with Thanksgiving and, and food and what, just what this season means, and we get to offer our thanks to God. But as we come out of Thanksgiving, we now enter into a season of, of Advent. We enter into the Christmas season. And um, I know that my wife, again, will probably fight you if you say you have more Christmas decorations than her. She has quite a bit, and pretty soon it's going to look like a big Christmas explosion in our living room. Some of you guys already beat us there, but I know it's, it's happening real soon. But, but I love the hope that comes with Christmas. And today we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about hope and ushering in the Advent season. But before we go in there, I have some questions for you. Where were you when? Every generation has this question. As a matter of fact, there are uh, people in, in generations and in, in online that when they do the breakdown of generations, millennials, Gen X, Gen Y... It's often, they say, broken up by the where were you when question. That will signify what labels a generation. So here are some questions for you. Where were you when Neil Armstrong landed on the moon? Where were you when you heard that JFK or Martin Luther King had been shot or killed? Where were you when you heard about Columbine? Where were you on 9-11? Here's one I didn't put a type up for, but I thought of this morning. Where were you when you experienced Beastquake with Marshawn Lynch? Yeah, some people are like, oh, I was there. Yeah. Some of these examples may predate some of us, but, but we all have a new one that we can all resonate with. Where were you when you first realized that COVID-19 was real and changes were coming? Where were you when you realized it was real and changes were coming? Moments like this are big. Moments, all these things here, these were things that shook the earth. If you were there for these things, you will never forget where you were. For, for me, the one that hit me was uh, 9-11. I remember exactly where I was, what I was doing, and watching that unfold on TV. And it was uh, crazy. I was actually talking with my daughter Aurora about it recently and realizing that she wasn't even around. And obviously, I knew this. I was in high school when that happened. But still, for her to say, oh, yeah, we read about that in school for me, it's like, Wow. She read about something that I so vividly remember happening. That was a cultural shift in my generation. 
Moments like these are big. They change things, and there's no going back, right? You can't take back any of these things. Our lives usually are never the same when we see things like this. But unfortunately, these tend to be negative events, catastrophes, tragedies. They strike with no warning, and they introduce a new sense of uncertainty into our life. And the problem is, this all sounds really, really familiar, right? 2020 and 2021. Wow, what a couple of years this has been. Has there ever been a time that we can think of filled with more uncertainty recently? It feels like this past couple years, everything changes consistently. I've learned that with COVID, life is consistently inconsistent, right? The rules are consistently inconsistent. Our, in our lifetime, this has to rank as one of the top all-time unexpected life-changing and uncertain events. You could, I feel like you could write a sci-fi novel with everything that has happened with COVID and what's happening in the world. As a matter of fact, I think I saw this movie, Outbreak or Contagion, and that, that pretty much feels like what's happened sometimes with COVID, right? I feel like we're living in a sci-fi thriller. And you know what's on the list now. We've been living here for two full years almost. Global pandemic, economic recession, Mass unemployment, political division, disunity like no other in history, politically and personally. Cultural upheaval, racial reckoning, record wildfires throughout the United States, complete with fire tornadoes. There were fire tornadoes this year. That is something out of a movie. Pretty soon we're going to get our real Sharknado. It's going to happen, all right? Extra powerful hurricanes, floods, a day here in Washington where the temperature hit 110 degrees and the Niners are playing better than the Seahawks. <laughs> Uncertain, it, it's crazy, right? I say that, for, it, it's crazy. It even shocks me. This feels like it could be coming right out of the end times. And there, there could be a new word for the, the year. Maybe you've been here online, doom scrolling. You know what I mean when I say doom scrolling? Like you go to the headlines and it's just like doom, 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 doom. Wow, horrible, horrible. And hopefully you don't end your day like that, like you lay in bed and just go, life is over. This is horrible. <laughs> but, but we can all, I think, resonate with doom scrolling where the headlines are just bad. You scroll through the news feed and it's just bad, depressing news. Hopefully you've caught yourself before you let doom scrolling come in. And sometimes you just entertain yourself by clicking on the comments that people make on the, all these articles. You just get the popcorn and read the comments. It'll entertain you for hours. But unfortunately, when things like this happen, it has enough just magnitude to sink people into a horrible depression. We've seen more depression in the world these past couple years than we have in history. And I don't want to bring us down, but, but I just want to bring a reality check here. This is the reality that we've had for quite some time. It has been a rough and tough two years for a lot of people. I think if there's ever a year where you would say, I need hope, I need Christmas, I think this is the year where we get to look at it and say, this is what I need. This is, the hope of Jesus is something that I think I need more now than ever. A good thing that we've made it here, right, to Advent, nearly Christmas. And I love celebrating Advent, especially now because hope. Advent is all about hope. It's all about hope. The word Advent actually means coming or arrival. And the season is traditionally a time of expectation, a time of anticipation and, and waiting and longing. It's not just an extension of Christmas. Advent is really a time that links the past, the present, and the future all together. It offers us this opportunity to share into this ancient longing that they had in biblical times where they were waiting so much for Jesus and they had the hope that he was coming. We get to look back at that and remember that and bring it into our now, where we live now saying we need the hope of Jesus. We need him in our lives now. And then we get to take it even further and look ahead and say we know he's coming back. Advent encompasses past, past present, and future. 
during Advent, we wait for both. It's an active, assured, and hopeful waiting that we get to be a part of. And I think far too often in, in the, the Christmas society, we can, be get, we can begin to get really overwhelmed with the decorations and the, and the fun. Now, don't get me wrong, I love decorations. I just said my house is going to explode with them very, very soon. And I love going out and seeing Christmas lights. And we got some fun things for our, our front yard this year that we get to put for Christmas. And I, I love the Christmas season, but all, all so often, we can really get lost in that, can't we? We can get lost in the, our house has to look like this. We have to have these lights. It has to be so perfect because we have to celebrate Christmas. And we start losing focus on the actual hope of Christmas and what Christmas is all about. I don't want to be focused on just the environment. I want to be focused on the hope that Jesus brings. Advent is the opportunity to set all of that pre, pre-notions of what we have to have aside. It's a time to prepare our hearts and help place us in our focus for a far greater part of the story than our own a story of God's redeeming love for the world, a season where we don't have to pretend to be happy, a season where we don't have to cover up the pain or hardships we we endured through this last year, a season where we get to embrace those with the hope that God is in the middle of all of those as well. It's a season of digging deep really into what it means that God sent his son to be with us, that God sent Emmanuel, Christ with us right here, right now. It's a season of expectation, and it's a season of preparation, an opportunity to align ourselves really with the promise and the presence of God, and not just a hectic season of presence. That doesn't mean I don't want presence, Stephanie. Don't understand. I'm saying that. No, so wherever you are on your level of 2021, uncertainty or anxiety, or wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I invite you today to enter in with us this season of Advent. Um, I'd like to even suggest that in the midst of the uncertainty, in the midst of the pandemic and the craziness of this year, we've been given an incredible gift right now where we get to rediscover Christmas together. We get to really dive in and rediscover what Christmas means. Over the next four weeks, we're going to go into these four attributes that Christ encapsulated here in his birth in the Christmas season. We're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about peace. We're going to talk about joy, and we're going to talk about love. And on Christmas Eve, we're going to have a service here at the church at 11 p.m. on Christmas Eve where we get to usher in and welcome in the birth of Jesus for Christmas morning. It's going to be a really, really fun service where we're going to start inside here, and then as we get closer to midnight, we're going to go outside, weather permitting, I hope we don't get stormed on, but go outside with candlelight and sing Christmas carols in and welcome in Christmas morning as a church family. And it's going to be really, really special and really, really fun. Today, though, we're going to begin with rediscovering the hope of Christmas, even when we're surrounded by uncertainty. Now, as we, as we explore these themes of Advent over the next uh, four weeks, we're going to see how they relate to and how they are exemplified in different characters throughout Scripture and how we can learn lessons from their stories and bring them through to today. But first, let's go over a little background of what's going on here coming into the first Christmas. Now, we think we have it bad today. Let's talk a little bit about how bad they had it before the birth of Jesus. Israel had it pretty bad. They could make a pretty good case for the time of Jesus where they say they felt defeated because they literally quite were defeated under the rule of the Roman Empire. It was a harsh time and day to live in, a time of conquest and brutality. There had been thousands of years since Abraham, thousands of years since Isaac and Jacob, and and these pillars of their faith had done miracles, and now they're literally slaves in captivity, not having their own free will. They've gone through thousands of years of being invaded and conquered by enemies like the Assyrians and the Babylonians, and now the Greeks and the Romans, generations and generations since the formation of God's covenant with humanity, and now they're looking back going, look at where we were, look at where we are, God, where are you? 
It was a hard time to live in, but they lived with the hope of knowing the Messiah was coming to make things right. The promise that God had to bless humans to restore what we had messed up when he created everything perfectly. The fulfillment of God's covenant, this was the coming of the Messiah. They knew this was coming. They had the hope for it, but it wasn't just a happy idea that drifted in and out of the Israelites' culture. This was their culture. They knew this was going to come. It was their deepest hope that sustained them in these hard times. This is what they could cling to knowing the Romans are beating us down. We got our own people collecting taxes from us and betraying us. What do we have to hold on to? They had to hold on to the hope that Jesus was coming. That was what they were grasping for. That was their last straw. And the fulfillment of God's covenant was through Jesus. This was their deepest hope. They clung to it like they did in the verse, uh, Genesis 12, 3. It says, all people on earth will be blessed through you. They knew this promise God made to Abraham. They were holding on to this promise because they, without it, they didn't have anything else. But as we've heard in scripture, and sometimes we do this in our own lives, we're clinging on to this hope. We know it's there. We know God is there. But then we ask ourselves, but how long, God? How long do I have to wait for this? And I'm reminded this every time I make my daughters a promise, and they go, now, Dad? Now? 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 And I think sometimes you know, we kind of sound like that to God. Now, God? Now? 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 And he's like, just, just wait a sec. I've got this. I promise this. Just wait for it. Under the world-changing rules that they had with the Greek and Romans, I can only imagine how they were saying, well, how long do we have to wait, God? How long? We're still waiting for this. And you can even ask yourself, were there even embers of hope left smoldering for these people? Was there even just a glimmer of hope as they were waiting thousands of years for this to finally happen? But I would say that in in Luke's Christmas story, the answer is yes. There were embers of hope. They were holding on to that hope. See, the spoiler alert, Jesus was born on Christmas. I know this is not ruining the story for anyone. We, we know this fact, right? Jesus was born on Christmas. This is not a surprise. But I tell you that now because I'm actually going to pick up the story a little bit later in an unusual place today as we talk about hope. See, most of the time, we end our Christmas story narrative with Mary and Joseph in the stable. The shepherds come, and they visit, and the angels talk to the shepherds. And then the, the, the magi or the wise men come. But in all reality, if you have your nativity, you could put them way across the room because they don't come for quite a while. But, but it looks better in the Christmas pageants when you have everyone all together, right? But we have the Christmas story, the textbook Christmas story. But Luke's narrative does, his Christmas story ends the night of Jesus' birth with the shepherd's departure. And I'd like to look a little bit closer at that scene, what happens after. We're going to look at a couple Bible characters in Luke chapter 2 named Simeon and Anna. Now, we're going to read together. We turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read verses 22 to 38. It's a long chunk, but there's so much hope in these two characters, so much hope in this passage, and that's why I want to unpack with you guys today. So Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 22, it says this. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. 
For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Those are two people who embody the word hope. See, Simeon and Anna, they were sparks of hope in Israel. And more than that, these, these two people, I believe, were torches of hope. These were like beacons. If you're a Lord of the Rings fan, these were the flames of Gondor for everyone to see. They were the hope that people looked at. They believed this. They were waiting for this. I love that they spent their lives waiting for this moment to see Jesus and God delivered on his promise to them. Both Simeon and Anna, they're, they're likewise elders in the story. They've both lived long lives. They've experienced many things. And, and when I read this, I know my, my heart breaks for Anna. Specifically, she'd been a widow for decades, married for seven years, and then for 84 without her husband. That's an incredible, if, if you look at it, a heartbreaking story, especially in the culture in biblical times where if you're a, a widow, that's not a high status point in society. People don't bend over backwards to give praises to the widows. But there she was at the temple, day in and day out, praising. We both know that we know that both Simeon and Anna, they remained faithfully devoted to God despite their circumstances, despite their age, despite their waiting. They remained devoted to God, and they were ready to see God do amazing things. Did you notice that in this account, neither Simeon nor Anna seem surprised when they see Jesus? It's not a surprising thing. It's a yes thing. It's a he did it. He's here. We knew it would happen. They're not uncertain. They know for a fact that this Jesus, this is the long-promised Messiah. Almost everybody else in the Christmas story, when you, when you go through it, there's, an, there's an, an, an angel telling them. It's God speaking through an angel, God speaking through dreams. There's some sort of revelation or convincing that has to happen. Even Mary at one point, when the angel said, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you, you're going to have a baby. She goes, how is this even possible? I'm not married yet. And the angel has to reassure her of what's happening. Joseph, in his story, when, he, when Mary tells him, hey, I'm pregnant, he's like, whoa, pump the brakes. I'm out. I'm, out. I'm not doing this. And an angel has to convince Joseph and say, this is what's happening. This is God. The shepherds are told by angels in a just magnificent show in the sky what had just happened. But I love that in this story, it's not two angels coming down next to, to, to Anna and Simeon saying, there he is, there's Jesus, go say hi. He walks in and they see him and they know exactly who it is. They didn't need convincing. They knew what Jesus had just shown up for. They knew who God had just delivered into their presence. I love this. I don't think, I think God knew they didn't need an angel. These were faith giants. These were faith giants who were filled with the hope of the promise that was coming. I also think that because they were old, had an angel appeared, their story may have ended a lot sooner than it would have. But they knew. Simeon and Anna were filled with hope, and that hope made them ready. I love that. Their hope, their faith made them ready to receive what Jesus was promised them. What God had promised them, what Jesus was delivering, their hope made them ready. 
Day after day, year after year, they had served God faithfully, inspired and fueled by the hope that God was at work, even though they couldn't see it. They were surrounded by hardship. They were surrounded by their status, their age, the Roman rule, but they never let that take away from their hope. As their time passed and they grew older and older, they held on to their hope. They fostered new and renewed hope as they set their focus on God. They worshiped him. They served him day in and day out with the hope that he would deliver his promise. And of course, God came through. You can imagine that. I, I feel like Anna and Simeon are those people where if you go up to him and say, God, God answered my prayer. It's not the person that goes, no way. It's the person that says, I knew it. That's what these two people are. They're the ones that say, I knew he would. I knew he would because that's my God. That's your God. That's our God. I knew he would do it because he promised it. That's who these two people were. They rejoiced. They celebrated. And they infused new hope into the people around them. The thing about hope is hope is contagious. The more people see you hoping and believing and longing and trusting, that starts spreading into people who maybe are struggling with doubt or disbelief or trials. They can see your hope, and it spreads into them, and they now have the opportunity to spread the hope to the people around them, including Mary and Joseph, who they're the ones that are standing there in shock of what's going on. And they knew who Jesus was, but they were still in shock with the new inspired hope that these two people showed. Simeon and Anna reveal several things about hope and its power that I think we can take away in our lives today. And the first is this, hope sees beyond. Hope totally sees beyond. Hope is the fuel of faith. Hope is the fuel of dreams and possibilities. It's the whisper that you hear of maybe, just maybe. You know, it's, we all have those moments where we say, gosh, I hope this happens. Gosh, I hope. Sometimes it's something trivial like a, a gift at home or something like, oh, man, I hope my sports team wins. I hope, I hope this happens today. Sometimes it gets deeper and deeper. I hope I get that promotion. I hope I get that raise. Sometimes it's more of a desperate hope. I hope I don't lose my job. But it's that question. It's that just maybe. It's that flicker of light in the morning. No matter how bad your year has been, no matter what kind of problems or struggles that you're facing right now, no matter what kind of season you have gone through in the past couple years, what season of darkness or pain you're in, let me encourage you this. If you take anything away today, don't abandon hope. Don't abandon your hope. My grandpa, who was a pastor, would say that, I think everyone has a rope. And you hear the phrase so often, I'm at the end of my rope. I'm at the end of my rope. My grandpa would say this. Well, when you're at the end of your rope, you tie a knot. You let that be your prayer and your hope knot, and you hang on and know that God will never let that knot break. If you're at the end of your rope, tie that knot. Don't let go of the hope that God is right there with you through it all. Your hope is alive in your darkest pain. Your hope can be alive in your most hopeless circumstances. Hope chases away darkness and uncertainty. Hope is alive because God is here with us. Romans 8 is a well-known chapter in the Bible, but there's a section I think that often gets overlooked that talks specifically about hope. In this chapter, Paul starts off by clarifying that there is now no condemnation for those who are in relationship, who are in Christ Jesus. That's Romans 8.1. He then explains our relationship as God's children and what it looks like to live by God's spirit. He then shifts to our future where God will fulfill his work in us and restore all creation. And Romans, uh, tw Romans 8.24 to 26 says this, for in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. I want to reread one part of that again and highlight this. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. For who hopes for what they already have? Who hopes for what they already have? You see, 
Hope exists before that reality comes to pass. It's the thing that we're longing for, the thing that we're waiting for. We're waiting for this stuff to happen. That is where our hope comes. You can hope with all of your heart that I've got a $100 bill in my pocket and I'm going to throw it out to the audience and someone's going to catch it. Some of you guys just sat up like, oh, really? You can hope because I've said it. Uh, you can hope that I might take it out, give it to you right here on the spot. Um, you can talk about it. You can expect it. You can say, oh, okay, I think, I think this is going to happen. I think, you know, my pastor's not a liar. So you can hope that you're going to walk out of this service $100 richer today. But as soon as I give you that $100 bill, what happens to your hope? It's gone now, right? You're not hoping for it anymore. It's already happened. There's no need for it. You can't keep hoping something happens when it already does. Now, all you can hope is that I'm going to let you keep it and not when we leave service. Hey, that was just a visual. I need that, I need that back. If you don't give it back, go tell Aurora she doesn't get Christmas. <laughs> yeah, then, then it's on you, right? Then I hope you don't break my daughter's heart. But when something happens like that, there's no more need for hope because it's already come to pass. But hope, our hope precedes our present reality. Hope, by its very nature, exists in the uncertainty before. It exists in the questions. Our hope exists even in the doubts. The, the wondering times where we don't know if things are going to pull through. That's why we have hope. We hope this is going to happen. I'm hoping for this in my future. It's the unclear sense of what is to come. But hope is the willingness and the desire to believe beyond what you see right now. It's the willingness and desire to see beyond your present circumstance and whatever reality is throwing at you. Hope looks past it. Hope looks ahead. Hope says, I know there's something better coming. Now, I included that verse in the beginning of 26 where it says this. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, because I think something we learn from hope is that God is with us here, now, and always. God is with you here, he's with you now, and he is with you always. Friends, we talk about having hope with uncertainty, but I love that with God, there is zero uncertainty. With God, there's zero uncertainty. God knows your pain. God knows your challenges. God knows your struggles. He was not taken by surprise. When COVID hit and we first got the rules, shelter in place. You know who was not shocked when that phrase hit the, word, the world? God was not shocked. He knew this was coming. It changed our lives. It floored for extroverts. That was like saying, go die now. But God was not shocked when he heard this. God was not shocked when the virus mutated, spread, went global. He was not surprised when the economy froze. He was not surprised when the economy shrunk. He was not surprised when you or your loved one maybe received a diagnosis that rocked your world forever. God was not surprised. God was not surprised when you got that phone call in the middle of the night or heard words that someone said to you that broke your heart, that shattered your world in that moment. God was not surprised. I was surprised when I got the call saying that my brother was not going to make it through the night. That rocked my world, caught me off guard. It was one of those things where I shared a little bit about my brother before. Um, we knew someday down the road because of his health this was going to happen, but that was a shocking phone call to get from my family saying that he may not make it through the night. I was shocked. When I went there and was in the room when he passed away, that was a shocking moment for me. But I know that I have my hope in God. He was not shocked. He was not surprised. He was right there not four weeks ago when I was in that room with my brother and we were all with our family when he went to go meet Jesus, God was not shocked. God knew that time was coming. And because of that, I get to have a hope in the goodness of God. 
I get to have hope in his promises. I get to have faith in what he's doing in me and through me through this, this tragic event in our family. God wasn't shocked, but he was there. He was there by my side, by my family's side through all of it. He knew it was coming. He was aware. God sees me. God sees you. God, God sees all of us. In, in our lowest of lows, God doesn't just see you. He's there with you. And we get to have the hope that he's bigger than all those problems. He delivers this hope. He embodies it. He fulfilled it when he brought us into the world and when he brought himself into the world so long ago. He still offers that hope today. And this is not a hope that he dangles. This is not if I were to, to put, you know, put that money on a fishing pole and go, who wants it? Oh, who wants it? You know, it's, this is not God dangling hope in front of you. This is God saying, this is yours. I am here for you, in you, with you, through you. He is not a teaser of hope. He is the deliverer of hope. He doesn't taunt us. He doesn't keep it just out of reach. It's not a hope that he demands us to, con- to conjure up as we struggle in our worst moments It's a hope that's available for all of us to have at any moment in every time. This is a hope that he infuses within us. A hope that is filled and fanned with us with God's spirit. It comes in our deepest pain, in our most grim circumstances. The faintest gleam of hope may seem so far away, too impossible to reach. But I love that God says, it's right here. Just receive it. Just receive the hope. His Spirit's with us. His Spirit helps restore us by reminding us of his faithfulness and promises. His Spirit leads us into his word. It reminds us of all God has done for us and what he promises to do. I love that he has a 100% fulfillment rate in all of his promises 100% of the time. So when we know we put our hope in Jesus, we're putting our hope in the most perfect place we could ever put it. I know that sometimes people will say, um, I don't go to church because, because God let me down. I don't go to church because this let me down. I would say, you know what? Sometimes people may let you down. I, I know that, that as a pastor, I've let people down. I'm not perfect. I will let people down. If you stick with me long enough, chances are I'll probably let you down at some point in the future. Not on purpose, but it's, it's going to happen because I'm human. But I know that when we put our hope in God, we put our trust in him, he never lets you down. He is the ultimate hope. He is our God, Emmanuel, God with us has promised his people throughout history and today. He gives us messages of hope. He gives us messages like this. Jeremiah 29, 11, a very famous passage. He says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Isaiah 43, verses 1 and 2, he says, Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. Can't you feel the hope infused in these scriptures? The hope that's infused with his word. We're not alone, even in our loneliest or darkest moments. Christ has come, and he's with us every single step of the way. Third, hope inspires us to carry on. Hope inspires us to carry on. When, when you feel like you're at the end of that rope and you've got that last knot, hope is what's going to allow you to hold on to that rope. Hope is what's going to allow you to pull yourself up to keep going forward through these trials. Paul described a cycle of hope like this in Romans 5. He explains it because of Jesus. He says this in Romans 5, uh, verses 2 through 5. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance perseverance, character, and character, hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. This hope from God's Spirit does not put you to shame. It doesn't let you down. It doesn't disappoint. Instead, it gives you a new growing strength to see beyond what is happening right in front of you to see what God is doing down the road. The empowering of hope reminds me of, of, of a great story when, when the COVID pandemic really started taking off. Does anybody remember hearing the story uh, last year about Captain Tom? Captain Tom in England, um, in all the doom and gloom, Captain Tom, 100 years old, rose to be a hero during the pandemic. So his name is Tom Moore. Now he is Captain Sir Tom Moore after he was knighted by the Queen. He was a 100-year-old man who single-handedly raised $40 million for the British healthcare system as they started battling COVID. He decided to walk 100 laps around his garden. 100 years, 100 laps. That's a lot of laps for an old man. What started as a challenge from his son-in-law to donate $1 per lap or one pound per lap in England went viral when his daughter posted this to an online charity site. The news spread quickly and suddenly people were donating left and right per lap that this 100-year-old man would walk around his garden. And so he gripped his walker, put on his navy blue blazer decorated with his military medals and started walking around his garden. He became a national hero a national inspiration. And it was an amazing story that he raised 40 million pounds in England. I hope that when I'm 100 years old, I even have a garden to walk around, but that I have that strength to get up and go and walk around the garden. But they interviewed him afterwards. They said, Captain Tom, tell us about this journey. And I love what he said. He said, the first step was the hardest. After that, I got into the swing of it and just kept going. That first step was the hardest. Isn't that so true for so many of us? Isn't that so true? We want to we say, hey, you know what, God, I'm going to do this. It's taking that first step that is often the hardest. Maybe it was uh, with the harvest offering. Maybe you're saying, man, this is, the, this is the first step in going above and beyond in something, and it's going to be the hardest. But I love that what he said is so true with us in our lives, too. When we start talking about giving our hope to God and giving our faith and trust in God, sometimes that first step is so hard. It's hard because you really are stepping into the unknown. You don't know how God's going to work in it. You don't know how God's going to work in you. But then once you see how God starts fulfilling his promises, you see how he fulfills that hope, it gets easier and easier. And you start realizing, I can't not afford to take more steps. I can't not afford to keep going. It could be so hard to lift our eyes if something has hit us and we're just full of tears and we're broken, to look for that tiny spark of hope when we're feeling swallowed by our pain. It can seem difficult to to reach past our troubles, to grasp God's outstretched hand, but when we see that he's right there with that hand outstretched, taking that step gets easier and easier each and every time. When we receive the promise of God's hope in his word, we find new strength. When we see the power of his hope granted to us, we find new inspiration. When we focus on the power embodied in his birth, in his life, in his death and resurrection, and we see the hope of an eternity in Jesus, we discover new strength to take not just the first step, but the second step, and the third step, and then eventually the hundredth step. And then you realize, I can't imagine myself not continuing to step towards God because of what I see him doing. Hope inspires us, it emboldens us, it builds in us, and it keeps us going no matter what. I'd like to invite the worship team up this morning. And as, as they come up, I want to ask you guys this question. You can write these down or, or, or think about these as we leave today. What is your next step of hope today? 
When you look at your life today, you say, what, what in my life am I hoping for? What am I clinging to? What is something that I'm thinking, I got to take that first step towards this hope, and it's such a hard step, but I've got to take it. I can't afford not to take it. What is your next step of hope in this Advent season? So often, I think, as humans, we, we just wish we could see what would happen, right? We said, man, I would take that step if I knew what was going to happen. I would take that step if I could just see the end game and I knew exactly what it would look like, then I'll take that step. But we don't get to skip to the end of the story. We, we don't get to see how it ends. But we do get to be a part of the story, and we know that an ending is good. God's ending is so good. That's not a privilege we've been granted seeing the end of the story, but I know that in Christ we've been given the ultimate end to that story, and that's life with him. We've been given a true life that transcends the pain and brokenness of our present world. In this Advent season, find hope in Jesus. Find hope in whatever you're going through right now. Know that whatever your problem is, it's not too big. Jesus is in it with you. Jesus was there before that problem came. And what looks like a mountain to us, it's just one of those little annoying molehills that I see on the yard out there sometimes to God. It's just a molehill because he can knock it down. He says, I've already got this. Put your hope in me. I can see the end, and you're with me, and it's good. Would you all stand with me today? Experience the hope of God's spirit moving within you. Let God carry you. Let God strengthen you. Let God make you bold this season as we go out and we share the hope of Jesus. My invitation for you is to take this step towards of hope. Hope is dawning. Christ is coming, and I love that as we look towards his birth, again, we get to look back at what he did and towards what he's going to do in us and through us because he is our hope. Amen? God, I thank you for today. I thank you that you are our living hope. God, you're not just someone who was 2,000 years ago. You're someone who is right now today. And I pray for anyone here that's going through anything in their life, God, anyone who's at the end of that rope, who says, I can't see the next step because this, this is just so big. This is blocking my view, this problem, that this, this trial, this diagnosis, this job, this mandate, whatever it is that's blocking our view, God, I pray that we're able to take that step towards you. Take that step towards hope. Let your hope fill us. Let it inspire us. Let it move us forward. And this Christmas season is one where we get to say, I'm rediscovering Christmas. I'm rediscovering the hope of the world, and that is you, Jesus Christ. Amen.